It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, I'm Michael Cerverus. I played September the Observer on Fringe, and you're listening to Observing the Pattern. We made this. The idea of ending their existence consumes me. Hello and welcome to Observing the Pattern, a fringe podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host, Luke Winch, and we are, of course, continuing our in-depth coverage of Fringe Season 3. Today, we're going to be discussing Episode 17. And joining me today to chat about this uh, divisive episode, I think is, is the best word to say, is Andrew Brooker. How you doing, buddy? All right. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be back on. It's been a little while. It has been a little while. This, this is your this is your third episode, I think, of season three. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. How have you How have you enjoyed the series up to this point? Because I mean, up to this point, it's we we are in the wackiest territory possible with soul we, magnets. We are. Stuff. We uh, season three as a whole is not my favourite season. It does go off the rails a little bit at this point, uh, but I. I I still enjoy most of it, and I don't have an issue with a lot of the episodes. It's 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 still fun, you know. And we're we're back to the same thing that you and I have said before: the the, the worst episodes of Fringe are still better than a lot of TV that we get. I you know, it, is it the greatest season of TV? No. Is it fun? Yeah, that's pretty much all I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I think this this episode in particular. Um, as I kind of alluded to, is quite divisive for, for for certain reasons, and and one of the reasons is is this idea of soul magnets and and the fact that the the, I mean the consciousness, the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to call it, of William Bell has jumped into Olivia because of a bell that rang in the previous episode, and I I, I think a lot of people, like half the people, thought Anatov was as was brave as hell for you know for throwing herself into this role of, of pretending to be Leonard Nimoy doing William Bell. And other people were like, I, I don't like what she's doing here. This is, this is, it's, it's, it's horrible to watch. So there's, it, I, I definitely fall into the latter category. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get into that. We'll definitely get into that. 
Yeah, so it's clear that this episode will probably fall under the label Marmite. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, before we start today, then, I do just want to say, say something on a serious note. This episode, even though it is within a sci-fi context, does deal with themes of suicide and issues of mental health. And we will be including these scenes in our discussion. So if you are affected by the issues presented in this episode uh, or what we talk about here today, please remember you are not alone and there are many different organisations you can contact. Um just a few here. In the UK, uh, you can contact Samaritans on 116123 or Calm on 0800 58 58 58. And in the US, you can call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1800 273 8255. I'll put all those numbers on the show notes as well. Um, I just wanted to put this up front because... You know the episode isn't it, it. It doesn't dwell on these scenes, but there are there are scenes that I think it, if you weren't, it doesn't. No, you're a, right. It doesn't dwell on them, but it does play quite a major factor in the the story, at least for the first third of the episode. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so I'll put those numbers on the show notes if if anybody feels the need to talk to someone. But with that, let's go on with the show. So as usual. Brooker, if you can just give me your brief thoughts, which you've kind of expressed uh, quite severely already. <laughs> but if, you, if you'd like to tell me um, your general thoughts on the episode and a score out of 10 for Stowaway. Uh, Stowaway, I think for me, is a solid six and a half, seven out of 10. I, there are two parts to this. this. This episode falls very squarely into two parts. The first part is the, the, the Paula Malcolmson story, the, the actual... The, the story that runs through the episode, the, the, the weekly story, if you like, that I, I really like. Uh, and then the other half of it is Anna Torv doing, frankly, a ludicrous uh, Leonard Nimoy impression, which really, I, it, it pulls me out of every scene that she does it in. I, I genuinely, I don't like it. And, you know, some people might not like me for saying that. That's fine if you enjoyed her portrayal of of Leonard Nimoy that's great I did not I gen- I thought it was terrible and I, <laughs> it really it wasn't required at all but the the, the weekly you know the story the for for the, the week's episode I thought was great you know the 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 woman stuck in this world trying desperately to get out of it I thought was really interesting and, and quite well done and mm. for a 40 minute episode I thought it arced really well but yeah, I did. I I couldn't I couldn't help but be pulled out of it every time Anna Torv clenched her teeth and and spoke in Nimoy. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you are not alone on this, and I'm 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 betting there are some listeners who who kind of grit their teeth through through her scenes as well, and there are other people. Um, I I mean, it doesn't annoy me or grate on me like it does some people. I think she I think she did the best she could. Apparently, uh, I think this is on the Fringe Wiki. Apparently, she was told like she wasn't told until the day before filming that she would be doing this because they get their script like a day before they start filming so they can start learning the script and that's the only time she learned that she would have to be doing an impression of Linda Nimoy doing William <laughs> Bell. So you know, she hasn't got much preparation, so hats off to Anatov for 
doing the best she could with the writing that she was given and what she had to do. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't... I don't know. I think I think it's actually the reactions of the cast around her that make it work rather than her. And I'll get into some of those reactions later on, particularly Peter's. Um, yes. I do like Joshua Jackson's reactions to, to Olivia, uh, William Bell being in Olivia. Um, but I would give it a... I'd, I'd probably give it a six and a half, seven maybe out of ten. Like you, I do enjoy the case of the week. Another aspect I really enjoy, actually, is the kind of Peter Lincoln Lee dynamic. I really enjoy that part of the episode as well. Yeah, those two bounce off each other really well in this episode. I find it's uh, they're fun to watch. Yeah, they are definitely, and uh, it's it's a nice taste of what, what you know. What, what, I can't even speak today. It's a nice taste of what we'll get with Lincoln Lee in season four. So it's a nice little taster there. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go into into stowaway in more depth so we open up in walter's lab probably not long after the end of last week's episode when 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 peter looked absolutely aghast that uh, that he was no longer exactly looking at olivia anymore um, but it's it's clear that peter is not happy about this situation his arms folded brooding as as, as much <laughs> as you can brood yeah he's not happy in this and uh and William Bell, or as we'll probably call it in this episode, Bell Livia, as, as the fans oh coined the term. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> he is trying to explain that you know it's nothing to worry about. We'll find a new host. Um, it it won't take very long. And I like uh, Broyles basically saying, "I'm going to repeat the question: How long are you inside Olivia for?" <laughs> I don't. Broyles, I think, is a is a is golden in this episode. I mean, he always is, to be fair. But yeah. in this episode, I think he's been just his his kind of the looks. Look at this bit here. The looks on his face have to say, "I've I've had to deal with too much of this shit, man. Why, <laughs> why are you making it worse?" I think he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he is, and he's he's, he's clearly you know he clearly wants his agent back stat yeah. and uh you know he's 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 pressing bell for you know a a, a concise answer cuz he's skirting around the issue really isn't he a little bit in this uh, in this opening sequence yeah very much so i mean so let's get the elephant in the room out of the way apart from anatov trying to be lenimoy what this this whole thing about soul magnets i mean is this is it too wacky for Fringe? Are, are, are we into the realm of, of ridiculousness in Fringe? Is it, is it too much for the show to kind of hold on to? Or think, do you think it just I, about works? I think it works in in the context where you look at it and go, well, they've done you know wacky nonsense already. I think if you've gotten this far in, I mean, we're, we're towards the end here of the, you know, the third season. We're, you know, 60 mm. episodes in, call it. it. I mean, if you've got here... And you think that this is the point where it jumps the shark? You, I, I don't think you were really that committed to the cause to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, it doesn't. I, I don't think it, it. It bothers me. I think it's just another, just another story beat that we have. It's, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think it turns me off to have, you know. The soul, the, it's, soul magnets sounds stupider than it actually is. I, I think they could have come up with a better name. I don't know what. I'm not a screenwriter, but you know, it, the theory behind it, I don't mind. The name kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, 
if you think about it, Walter and Bell were working in the 60s, you know, the swinging 60s, the time for smoking a lot and, yeah. and thinking in kind of spiritual ways. I think Soul Magnet kind of fits into that 60s mentality. You're probably right, to be fair. Yeah, but it doesn't quite work in a kind of contemporary manner. So, you know, in today's talk, it's like, Soul Magnet? What the bloody hell's that? <laughs> but Walter and, and Walter and Bell explaining the scientific process behind it does bring some credence to the concept of soul magnet so i quite like that yeah a few little moments that i that i quite liked was uh was bell commenting on astrid's hands and and her looking incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> with olivia saying that <laughs> <It's just> yeah <laughs> and, I, and then calling Broyles young man love that i thought that was yeah that was good uh you know, the, the, those are the times I think in in the writing of the of this show, it, not just this episode, just in general. You know, a little bit of care and attention has been put into stuff like that, and you you always see it. You know, whether or not you're enjoying the episode, you always see that there's there's just a little bit extra uh, care been put into what they write, and stuff like that. I think is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we switch then to a rooftop, and uh, we get. Um, a character, Dana Gray, who meets a man on a rooftop who is obviously deeply distressed. Uh, he says he doesn't believe in hope anymore. Uh, and all he knows is that everyone is going to die. So he's clearly lost his will to live here. Um, we get, we kind of understand that Dana's had prior contact to this man, that, that, that they've had a previous conversation. Um, of course, we find out later that she kind of provides this, this helpline. What did you think to this scene? I mean... Because there's an interesting moment where he goes over and she grabs him and then almost willingly goes over with him. Yeah, I, I, I like the scene uh, because it's, it's, it's free of context at this point, isn't it? You don't know what's happened to her. Mm. You don't know why she's doing it. You just, for a split second, you can look at it and think, oh, oh shit, she just, has she tried to jump and stop him? Well, clearly not, because that was never going to work. Did she just not want to you know does she just want to go with him is she a loved one is she you know it it in a very very short space of time it asks an or it forces an awful lot of questions that obviously are quickly answered when she then stands up and walks away but i i genuinely i really like this it's a very short uh moment but i genuinely really like it it does an awful lot to set up the scene for the uh for the rest of the episode yeah, definitely. I like the way you talked about it of completely being out of context, and then, and, I, and I think that's mainly why the why the scene works because, as you said, it raises so many questions and kind of takes you into the episode with with this investigation of trying to find out what she's doing and why she's done it. Yeah, and obviously that's that's the best way. You know, a lot of the great uh, episodes have uh, a moment where <clears throat> excuse me, where questions are asked. Because of what's gone on on the screen, and because you know, it's it's TV. It's a standard TV writing trope. You, you you've not had everything explained to you for you know with regards to these characters straight away. So you want to know what the hell's going on, and it is you know it's 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 free of her story. You don't know anything. All you know is she's grabbed the guy who's just jumped off a building. Yeah, you know, and of course that's going to bring up questions. Why wouldn't it? And mm. what Fringe has always done very well is to to bring those questions to the forefront with the audience and then slowly answer them across uh, you know, the next 20 or so minutes before we head into Act 3. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So after the credits, then, we get an interesting moment, I think, with Peter and... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Bell. I'm not going to say Bellevue because I think it's, a, <laughs> such a, it's such a silly coin term. I know the fans love it or some fans love it, but I'm, I, I refuse. It's William Bell. You can go up there <laughs> so with and- poxy soul magnets. <laughs> so Peter and Bell are looking over his files and Bell picks up the drawing of, of Peter and the machine and they, they talk about fate, um, which plays a big part in the mythology of Fringe, especially with the first people and the fact that Peter is, is, is um, genetically tied to the machine that he is fated to use it. Um, and I like Bell's line where he says, um, when you walk away from fate, it leads one directly back to fate's doorstep. And I, I find it interesting that, that William Bell, as a scientist, believes in fate or believes in or, or is interested in the concept of fate. Um you know, Peter is adamant that he doesn't believe in fate, and if he's asked to go in the machine, he's not going to, uh, which we all know he, he tries to turn away from it, and yeah. you know he ha- he has to go into it. So, I like I like this kind of deterministic approach that William Bell has to fate. Yeah, he uh, the thing he, with William Bell's character in general, you can kind of see because he's spent time across you know both universes, he he's spent time uh, uh, watching things unfold. I think you you would possibly get to a point if you were his character you would get to a point where you just you can't you can't underestimate how much uh what how big a part fate would play i suppose whether or not you believe in it it's still there mm. yeah um and and i like that he is obviously pure scientist but these these little nuggets come out of him on occasion uh during these episodes just you can see just how how much he's been affected by just living a life, man. You know, just just by being around for so long. Yeah, and I think I I can't remember who I had a conversation with, um, but it was one of the other guests, and we, and we were saying that even though Fringe does deal with fringe science or, or um, using normal scientific things in in the real world and and making it more kind of exaggerated and blown up for the fringe universe yeah it does it it does actually play a lot with mysticism and uh this kind of esoteric language as well so it it, you know it it talks about souls and dreams and entering other people's dreams which isn't really scientific It's, it's more like mysticism it's more like i don't know this weird new age thinking but without being that horrible new agey um yeah no i get you yeah, we, thing that annoys you. <laughs> we've we've had that since like episode one, though, haven't we? You know, this is mm. you know, it has been there, maybe not like up front with the the crazy science, but it's definitely been there from day one in you know in the background and kind of helping push these stories along. And I I, I think you're right. I think it gets forgotten a little bit as well when you talk because it is a pure sci-fi show, mm. you know, as well as being a you know a. a, a crime procedural FBI procedural thing but it's, it's a full on sci-fi show so you do forget that that mysticism side of things is definitely there 
Mm, definitely. And it's, it's, I mean, it's quite a brave thing to put into a sci-fi show because not a lot of sci-fi gets away with having mysticism or prophecy in their, you know, in their shows or their, or their books, if you're reading a sci-fi book, because a lot of the time it, it's just, it, 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 it comes off as stupid in sci-fi, but it works really well in this universe, mainly because you've got the likes of John Noble playing Walter, who makes you believe anything he says. Yeah. No, 100%, 100% true. Uh, but that's down to, obviously, A, good writing, and B, uh, great acting. Because yeah. you know, John Noble's amazing and will convince you of anything he says to you. Not John Noble. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, he he'll, the, the way he just presents himself and projects everything towards you, so, and, and this is... Uh, a lot of this comes from like the stuff you mentioned earlier, like the the the, the 60s and 70s stuff, the the smoking weed and the and the doing mushrooms thing, you know. Yeah. These guys have seen some shit, you know. <laughs> so they're allowed to kind of believe in this stuff as well as have the science, and they 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 do a fantastic job in convincing you that they believe it as well. Which I think again, it's it's fantastic writing and brilliant acting, brilliant acting. Yeah. Absolutely. So after Walter and Bell have decided that the cause of the woman walking away is to do with spatial decay, uh, we're introduced for the very first time to the Lincoln Lee of our universe. Which is strange. Yeah, it is strange. He's, he's, he's a very different person, isn't he? He is. A very different extreme. He's, he's much more timid. He's obviously uh, more desk-based, whereas the over there, Lincoln Lee is a bit more action hero, field agent. But also I... I I kind of realised that the Lincoln Lee over there is much more scientific. You know, he's a science genius of the team, whereas yep. this Lincoln Lee has no clue about science, and that's and that's evidently clear when he's when he's in Walter's lab later, which is a uh, has uh, some really good moments. Very much so. They're they the the they're probably the most uh, polar opposite of all of the pairs of characters because most of the other characters have got something in common with the people on the other side. This guy outside of being in law enforcement doesn't have anything if I remember rightly in mm. common with the other Lincoln Lee. Yeah, definitely. Um and what's quite clear as well in these scenes is that uh, Walter is clearly having the time of his life having his old buddy and work <laughs> colleague back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's some there's some great little scenes dotted around with those two. Oh yeah, the uh, the the conversation about how uncomfortable bras can be uh, was <laughs> was a, a particular highlight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's one where they were, they were grooming Gene the cow, and they get the giggles about something. I can't actually remember yeah. what it is now. Top my head, but that but that scene was great as well. Yeah, they've they've definitely kind of they've they've worked backwards into that scene. So they've gone, you know, Walter and William have got to be having fun together because they always did. You know, when they were working together, they had a laugh. And then they've gone... So they write, now they're writing for Walter and William and then just... They, they, they Literally, they take the, the William script wholesale and give it to Anna Torv. So now it's literally... It's, it's no different to if they put Leonard Nimoy in that scene. And I think it works very, very well that way, you know, and... A, and a Torv's impression aside, I think it works very well uh, uh, with those two. Throughout the episode, they're they're brilliant together. You know, the writing mm. of the pair of them is is really really good and really fun. Yeah, and I mean, there were times when Anatol kind of pulled it back a bit, and it wasn't too it wasn't too kind of um, overemphasized about yeah. 
about her things, and I thought those scenes worked particularly well. Yeah, it did. It did work better when it didn't sound like she was trying to talk through the sock that someone had jammed in the side of her mouth, <laughs> because that definitely came out at one point. Yeah, a bit like the old Maltesers <laughs> advert where they're doing the Godfather impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit like that. But what's also evident as well, which is interesting, is that Walter also seems completely oblivious to the way Peter's feeling about this. And Peter's, you know, he's obviously very anxious to get his Olivia back because, I mean, they've only just got back together in the last episode. So he's, you know, he's really happy about getting his girlfriend back. And and now it's Leonard Nimoy. And now now it's Leonard Nimoy. So I understand why the guy's pissed off. Yeah, I think we all would be, wouldn't we? Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. There are some memes. I saw, I, I saw a meme the other day, which was Anna Torv as as William Bell, basically asking if if Peter wants to, I don't know, tickle tickle her feet or something, or you know, something kinky. And it's just the fact that, but and, and and then there's a shot of Peter. I don't know what expression or episode they got the expression from, but he's like, uh, nope. <laughs> that was quite funny. And it, and the. There was a moment at the crime scene when the team get introduced to Lee by Broyles and they're talking about um, how how Dana's been witnessed at three attempted suicides with other people and she's the only one that walks away. Um, and while everyone's quite sombre about this, Walter leans into into William Bell and goes, oh, this is our lucky day. And I don't know. I just I found that I I, I found that there he was he was completely detached from the from the human tragedy that was going on here. Um, and Walter does this sometimes, particularly when he is so focused on the science, and particularly now he's got Bell. They are, you know, they're kind of back in their old mindsets again. That, that yeah. people aren't people; they're subjects. Yeah. So I, I actually found that quite uncomfortable when he said that. It is, it is a, a, an uncomfortable moment, and I think you've hit it right on the head. It is because because he's got his old lab partner back. It's he's very much got into well, these people are now here for me to play with. Yeah, mm. uh, I, I think you're you're 100 percent right, and I think it's probably meant to be like that as well. Uh, add to the fact that you know, again, we're talking about an episode where you know someone's just taken his own life, and then someone else was clearly involved and got up and walked away. This, you know, it's a a darker moment than maybe what we what we would usually get with the fringe episode. You know, we, mm. we haven't had many that have dealt with like suicide and things like that. We've had a couple, but at this point, it's a it's a it's a darker area that we're sat in. And then, then uh, Walter gets to play the the very dark. Yeah, these these are my toys now. Mm. Kind of card. This is my playground. Yes, yeah. uh, it is. I think you're. I think you're right. I think it's meant to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I think being uncomfortable is the the perfect reaction to have in that particular scene. Mm. But I do love it later when Lee is brought back to Walter's lab and you get the classic reaction of, what the hell is this place? (laughs) (laughs) And he gets to meet Gene the cow and he's just walking around and, you know. It's the highlight of any episode where someone gets to meet Gene. It is, isn't it? It It really is. And, you know, he acts the same way everybody else does, you know, completely dumbfounded as we, (laughs) we have a cow in a lab. Of course we do. Why not? Brilliant. And it, yeah. it, again, it does. It sells that kind of. Oh, I don't want to be mean and say kind of dumb and dim-witted Lincoln Lee because he's not dumb or dim-witted. He's really good, but he just seems kind of dithery in comparison to the Lincoln Lee we know. 
Yeah, well, the Lincoln Lee we know is is more, you know, he's more au fait with these crazy things going on because his world's basically disintegrating yeah. day by day. Well, you know, whereas this one, obviously, you know, he's just worked normal cases. And, but I like the fact that he, like, when, when they're all gathered around and they're talking about, um, how the atoms in their body are being held together with a stronger magnetism and, and they start talking in scientific speech and he's just like, okay, so uh, it's a vampire. So, you know, he's, he's, he's understanding it, but from a very simple uh, non-scientific person's point of view. So they basically come to the conclusion that it's a compassionate soul vampire that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, but I like the way he kind of, he works through that and just comes out with this much more, <laughs> Way that he can understand it, even though it sounds crazy. Yeah. No, he does. He does great in it. I, I think it's. Uh, I think again, yeah, it's a testament to, to what we're to the people being put on screen. It's it's always interesting to watch them go through those processes, and always fun. Always comes out great. Mm. I mean, I wonder if if the actors ever look at the script and go, "This is going to sound fucking ridiculous when I say this." Oh, they definitely like- do that. Definitely. <laughs> But they pull it off. They do day by day. That's I do. I, I kind of get the feeling that you you're going to see people. You, know, you could writers will hand over bits and go. Well, you're going to say this and they're going to go. Well, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. And go. Don't you worry. The thing you'll be yeah. standing next to will be worse. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we go back to Dana Gray, who is uh, upset in a park. Uh, and she answers her phone, and we we then find out that she is providing um, a helpline for pe- people in distress. Um, and it's again, it's it's the scene where we we don't have a huge amount of context, and it would be easy to think without knowing what the rest of the, what the episode is going to be. It would be easy to think, you know, is she is she using these people's desires to kill themselves as 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 a tool for something? So it it's quite sinister in that way. Before you got the the context of of her wanting her wanting to die, not wanting other people to die. Yeah. Um, so it was a really I, I thought it was a really interesting scene there actually. Yeah. It 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 gives a, an extra kind of layer to her character when you and it, and again it it raises more questions for for the for the episode to answer for you later on down the line. But it does it kind of it adds to that. She's not just she's this this line is has clearly been set up for she's she's got to have done something right to get to this point where she's taking phone calls from suicidal people. She is the hotline. Mm. You know. There's there's got to be something in her or with her to make her want to help, whether or not she's actually helping. And now now we we get to look at that and go, Okay, so she's she's running the suicide hotline. Why did she jump on the dude that jumped off the building? She clearly didn't push him. He was already going, you know. So maybe she was trying to help and just completely messed it up. I, I like that this this scene, it it just rolls all of these questions in. If you want to see him, of course, you know, it just rolls all of these questions in. And I think it does such a great job of, of building the, the, the Dana character. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. 
The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's, it's really... Because, again, you only get 40 minutes to tell these little stories. So you don't get an awful lot of time to build these characters up and flesh them out a bit. So if you can do it with a scene or with a phone call in a park, you've done a really good job. And I think they did a really good job with her character here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, you know, I think Dana Gray is a, is a really rich character. And like you said, you've only got 40 minutes to tell the story of a character who is not a main cast member, who is the... Uh, antagonist protagonist of, of the episode yeah so it's it's really it's a really well written script and i i do love and i like the way the, the story structured as well because you've got all these questions after the scene of her in the park on the phone and then directly afterwards you've got peter and lincoln uh who are interviewing her boss and she's saying you know she's she's been amazing at her job she's She's got an uncanny way of connecting with people. She saved 37 yeah. people's lives. So Peter asked she's the question. literally talked people off of ledges, you know, and is really yeah. good at it. And Peter asked the question that, that the audience are asking is, so then why is she, if, 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 what, why is she committed to saving lives if she's jumping off ledges with people? So it's 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 a really good structure that that the show has because they they ask the questions and they give you a few answers and then and then one of the characters will ask a question that we're probably asking ourselves. Yeah. So then Dana arrives at Brian's flat, the guy she, that she was talking to, and yeah, we get a really really out of context scene here because then he starts talking about, you know. I've brought you here. You didn't come here because because you wanted to. I've brought you here because I need you to save everyone on the train. And you're just going, train? What's going on here? Um, so again, a really well-structured small scene where we find out that, that he's planted a bomb. But again, we don't know his motivations. Why Why has he planted a bomb on the train only to then ring a helpline to get her to save everyone on the train? It's uh, it, it brings in this concept of is there some kind of divine intervention because he goes into the story of Asriel uh, and the angels which becomes quite an important theme throughout the episode yeah I, I think so for me this is kind of where the episode began to unthread a little bit it it felt like it was kind of kind of cr this this guy with a bomb thing was kind of crowbarred in Obviously, it all pans out towards the end, but as it's happening, like this, this doesn't make sense. 
until you know we're we're back to this this conversation i think uh about fate and you know like i said mysticism and all of this like this is mm. we've we've now gotten to a point where the everything that's happened to dana up to this point has been for a reason so she can be here and then she can be on the train and then she can you know as the episode goes on the angel and Azrael thing it's a cool story man i do i quite like the story of of Azrael. but mm. it it again it, it does feel a bit shoehorned uh or someone's read the story and gone this would be cool if i could make this into a fringe episode let's see if i can do this and then gone well i want to show you my my inspiration so i'm gonna have a guy explain it to you it is a cool story and i like how it's kind of played out but it it does it does feel a bit kind of elbowed in i have to admit yeah i kind of get where you're coming from i mean i the problem i have is is that there's there's a lot of different ideas thrown into this episode and if you look at uh, who, the, who who it's written by. The story is by J.H. Wyman, Jeff Pinkner and Akiva Goldsman. So there's three people's ideas that they're trying to throw into this stew. Yeah. The teleplay is actually by a, a, a lady called Danielle Disbaltro. So she wrote the episode, but the three guys basically came up with the ideas. So it's almost like they wanted to pack these ideas in, but they didn't... Because they've done that, there's not enough time to expand and enrich these themes they're just little little moments so you talk about fate and then you throw this religious theme in of angels and Azrael, but you never get enough time to to really kind of enrich that and talk about it enough because there's too much packed in there yeah no you're absolutely right and i think the 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 problem i have with this episode at this point is it's it's all well and good to have this be the the start of the, the, the episode wrapping up and the story being wrapped up you don't get, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you, you don't get to see her realisation as, oh, this all happened, I was supposed to be here. Mm. You, don't, you don't see that. And it kind of, because Dana has such a cool arc in this story, in this episode, and, you know, it, it's, it's tragic, it's sad, it's, you know, and when you, by the time you get to the end, you, you're really quite, you know, you're simultaneously heartbroken and really happy for her by the time we get to the end of this episode. But you don't get to see her have that. You don't get to, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because of everything we've had to cram into this five minutes, you, you don't, we don't get to... The, the payoff for this should have been, you know, some form of verbal cue in the episode that she has realised this is where she's supposed to be and this is how... She's going to save everybody, and it's you know she's going to save everybody's life, and you know she's going to get the release she needs. And it, this it it should have been a brilliant payoff, but because we've had to cram all of this stuff in, we've run out of time to get a decent scene wrapping it all up at the end. In in my opinion, of course, I, I this is just how I kind of as I was watching it, I kind of felt that. No, I'm with you on this because I I, I do agree. I, I think we should have had a. A moment, like you said, we should have had a moment because the whole time she's on the train, and even when she's walking off the train with the bomb, and she's going, "I, I don't know what's, ha- I don't know what to do, I don't know what's happening." I wish that she'd realised that actually her getting off the train and taking the bomb away from the people, yeah, was was her salvation. That was how she would, 
she would you know as she says meet her family in heaven but we don't get that and i think you're right i think the payoff the emotional payoff would have been better if we'd got some idea that she had clicked that that, that she'd realized what her purpose was because she talks about purpose a lot to these guys yeah. who are who are just about to kill themselves so it would have been great if she'd realized her purpose for for me as well it just it feels like a bit of a waste of the actress as well. I love Paula Malcolmson. I think she's a oh, fantastic she's, actress. Yeah. She's she's amazing in Deadwood. She's amazing in uh, Ray Donovan. She's just she's just really fun to watch. And I just I, by the time I got to the end of the episode, I was like, oh, you you wasted her. Mm. That just it seems unfair. <laughs> yeah, I thought she had some great little moments, but um, they were very fleeting. They were very quick moments. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing with Asriel, the way the way I kind of see it. When when she's in Brian's flat and he's basically talking about that she needs to save the people from the bomb, she picks up the phone ready to call, to call the emergency services. And when he when he then talks about Asriel and having the angels take his damned soul from he- to, to, from heaven into hell, she stops. So she's realised something. And that's when she she goes to the church and she gets the book about the story of Azrael and 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 how that that God basically says why why did why did you bring Azrael up here and the angels basically reply that the multitude of good souls outweighs his sins. Yeah. So if you translate that to the story of Dana, if she saves all the souls on the train, then those souls outweigh her what she sees as her sins, which means she gets to heaven. But again, that wasn't explicitly no it wasn't it wasn't explained explained is the wrong word there was there was no there was no realization for her that actually mm. the 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 oh what's the word i'm looking for the cumulative total of good that she's about to do you know will yeah. will outweigh any bad that's that's left her stuck here that there should have been a moment that we got to share with her where she realised this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it didn't have to be spoon-fed to us, but just... No, of course not. Some kind of emotional or verbal or some kind of cue that that she'd realised what her purpose was, I think would have been a lot more satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not looking for, you know, Game of Thrones levels of screaming as she's she's caught on fire at the end of it. No. I don't need that. I just... I just... I, I want... I want more for the the woman that played her for one. I want more for the the audience that are watching it. I just I think the character deserved that moment because yeah. up until that point she had such a cool episode. Yeah, yeah, she did. I mean, maybe just her stopping in the middle of the field with with the bomb and actually realizing that this is this is where she's meant to be. This is what she was meant to do. Yeah, but there, but there wasn't really that either. And the bomb kind of I don't know. It just happens. It, it happened, but it all seems a bit detached, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get. I wonder actually, thinking about it and watching it today, because everything did just kind of happen off screen, which is 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 unlike uh, a show like Fringe. So I, I wonder if there originally was a different end to that particular mm. episode that someone went, "Yeah, you can't do that." You know, it, it, that's it went, interesting. It went yeah, to I a, wonder. I wonder if there's somewhere some and they went, "Yeah, the you can't do that." Talks. Re- yeah, Re- reshoot sh- something sharpish, and, and please don't do that again. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what this. This is literally me spitballing ideas. I have no idea, but it does. Watching it again today, you kind of did have that feeling that 
because we haven't had any of this wrap up that even in, in the worst episodes of Fringe usually you would get it just, it feels like someone's gone I don't like the way you've ended that please do something different the mm. bomb has to go off damn it you know I don't know yeah very interesting very interesting we'll never know though, will we no <laughs> Uh, one little bit I like, but kind of backtracking a little bit, is when they, 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 when Peter rings up Dana and tries to get her to tr- try to get her to get off the train, basically, and come to the lab and and find some alternative way that she can get what she wants, and and they fail. But I like this little quick bit where they use. And Broyles starts it off, which is Ace. They try and use some announcement that's muffled in the background, and they enhance it, and then <laughs> and then Walter and Bell get on their yeah. glass perspex and start scribbling up stuff. But I just really like that moment because it was a real fringe team effort moment, which I really like. It was. It was a good little wrap up for them, wasn't it? They they did yeah. really well with that. The you know, like you say, the, the pulling the stuff, pulling the audio from the from the recording and them two just doing stuff of their own will, no one actually understanding what they're doing or what they're saying. And then that just, just <laughs> magically having the answer in a in a very fringe kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, because even Peter says in the end of the phone, what are they saying? And Ashley goes, well, they're doing this thing where they don't finish each other's sentences. Because yeah. <laughs> you kind of, I kind of feel for, for Peter. Peter's always kind of the guy that has to make that phone call. So he's like, no, no, come in. We can help. No, no, you can't. You're bullshitting. You can't help me. No, no, believe me. We've seen some stuff, man. You, <laughs> no one's going to believe you, Peter. No one will ever believe. Doesn't matter how, how often you say it, weird and wonderful things are happening to these people. They're never going to believe you can help. But the poor bastard has to make the call every time. I genuinely, you kind of go, oh, it just, it's such a wasted effort having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a good moment. It's a funny moment as well. It so is like a fun that. moment. I did like it. Um, so after, after the train incident happens and the mum goes off, there, there's a conversation with William Bell and Peter at the house. And... I like the way Bell gives his scientific theory about how he thinks Dana died and then dismisses it in favour of a more kind of fatalistic way. He talks about destiny again, yeah. which I think I think having this theme of fate is, is we know it's building up to the machine and the last three episodes of, of, of this season. But it's yeah. uh, again, it's an interesting... I, I like the way Bell isn't just rigid scientific. He is open to these more mystical uh, ideas and theories. Yeah, and I, I think that plays a lot into what we were saying earlier, that, that you know, these, these two have been around. It's not just that they've, you know, it's not just that they're well-lived. They've done stuff, they've seen stuff that, you know, can't necessarily be explained by the science they've dedicated their lives to. So it's, it's I think it's perfectly acceptable for them to go, sometimes, you know, shit just happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I like, he, he talks about that, doesn't he? Because he talks about the interconnectedness of unrelated events and synchronicity. And he talks about, you know, how is it that the 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 case of Dana just so happened to occur when I entered Olivia's body? And in, in, in a really meta way, it's basically the writers justifying the week-by-week connection that you have from the case of the week uh, and the ongoing... If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Narrative arc or the characters arcs are those themes because, you know, I think me and you talked about it very early on that a lot of season three and season two actually the cases will always relate thematically to something that one of the other characters is going through sometimes yeah. it works sometimes it's a bit like ah. so but i like the way that in a meta way they're kind of justifying the fact that they do this week by week but i, quite, yeah. I, I thought it was quite a bold move actually it is it's a it's a clever move as well it's what it's one to uh because again it's, it's one that's easily missed so and because the fringe is really good we don't as a rule get things spoon-fed to us in fringe which is something i can I can get behind. I don't like being treated like a kid. I like my TV to be a bit smarter, you know. Yeah. T- treat me like I I might know what I'm talking about, and if I don't, that's okay. So I, I quite like that they've they've put this this overarching theme in as their weekly episodes go on. And here, I think it works better than it does for for a lot of the other episodes where they try to do it. I think it fits mm. not quite nicely with this episode. Yeah, because especially the word stowaway, because they use that for what Dana's trying to do. She's trying to stow away on another person's soul up to heaven. And also, William Bell is a stowaway inside Olivia. Very much so, yeah. So it it is, it does cover, like the title does cover everything that's going on in this episode. And one, you know, one part of the story is relatively mirroring the other one. It it is very good. And it has, this, like I say, this episode, I think it worked better than it does in some of the others. Mm, Definitely. And we end then with, we hear some distant bells from the church nearby going off, which temporarily allows Olivia's consciousness to awaken very, very briefly, which is a, which is a cool moment. Um, and then Bell basically takes back controls and goes, oh, things aren't as simple as I first thought, <laughs> i.e. shit's about to happen. Yeah, literally just come back and go, well, shit. <laughs> and that, of course, leads us into um, another crackers episode which is a uh, lsd i'm not going to say the full thing because i can't remember it lysergic acid diethylamide i think it is. that's the bad boy yeah um yeah and then we fade to black for that episode final thoughts and anything that that we might have missed that you wanted to mention about the episode it it's an episode i it's an episode i really like for the most part it's fun i i genuinely i like the dana story in it uh like i said i'm a big fan of Paula Malcolmson. I think she's always fun to watch. I I would have liked her to have a little bit more, like I said earlier. But you know, all in all, again, it's fringe. It has to work very hard for me to hate it. There are definitely episodes that I dislike. I think you and I have spoken about an episode previously that I did dislike. Mm. Uh, this one's not the worst. It's it's fun, but it, there's also uh, when you look at it, there's there's not. There's not much hidden underneath 
this episode. It's everything for the most part. Everything is kind of in your face. There's nothing. There's nothing much to unpick apart from the uh, like the fake stuff that we were talking about. And even that's quite quite a. Uh, it's it's there. You know, like it's like quite saying, surface level, isn't it? Yeah, like we said, they don't spoon feed it to us, which is great, but it's it's still there. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I I enjoy it for the most part. I think it has one too many ideas stuffed in, which doesn't give enough room for the other things to breathe a little bit. But uh, yeah, like you, I I really enjoy the Dana story. I wish we'd got a little bit more of her. I love Linker and Peter together again. I, I, I thought that was uh, it. Was just nice to see those two bounce off each other. It's nice to see Peter having a having a relationship. So it, it, then, to, when you hear them to uh, when them to are going in their own separate ways at the end of the episode as well, I, I like yeah, that. I really the like they, that. Uh, you know, the, be careful what you wish for that you hear. Yes, here we go, mate. Here we go. Uh, yeah. I, I, those two, I think, are excellent in this episode. Obviously, you know, uh, Walter and William are always going to do well together. It's Like, like you say, it's, it's good to let Peter have someone else to talk to, to bounce off of. Because he usually has to be the voice of reason with Walter. He doesn't get to do his own thing a lot. So it's quite nice to have him, you know, just, ha- just to have somebody else to talk to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's not playing against a male who isn't a his father or b a superior officer. He's he's playing with someone who's an equal with him. So it's yeah. just, it's nice to see him play off off like that. I did love it actually. I, I think it happens about four times where Lincoln Lee talks to everyone and goes, "Right, I know this is going to sound insane," and everyone looks at him going, "Mate, you've got no idea." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. This is not insane, <laughs> but I like it. I like it. So, did you spot the observer? I did not. I have to admit, this time I missed him. Yeah, I missed him as well. So I I went onto the internet, the uh, the good old fringe wiki. Apparently, the observer is across the street holding an umbrella as Walter, William, and Peter examine the car that Dana and Jim fell on. So quite early on. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't spot that yeah. at all. Yeah, I missed that completely. Um, the cipher of the week is erode, which I thought was interesting. It's an interesting word. Hmm. I mean, it could mean that because I know at the beginning they thought that the reason why she survived was because of the the, the, they thought it was the spatial erosion in the place to do with the universe's um, kind of disintegrating. So it could it could be because of that. It could be because of maybe uh, Williams stability inside Olivia is eroding, which obviously is towards the end of the episode. So there's lots of different things you could attach that word to yeah it's a good one it's a very good one there was i think there's one i think what was it a couple of weeks ago which was uh romad and i had no idea what romad is <laughs> but one of our listeners came with with, with a <laughs> with a good link a very very it's 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 a a real abstract link but it works um, i can't remember what it is but i will i will i think i retweeted it on our twitter feed so everyone can have a read of that but um but it's to do with with what olivia is going through in, in that particular episode okay. uh, but it does it through some abstract acronym for some kind of air traffic controller it's oh, super super hell. abstract <laughs> but it works <laughs> i do like a good cryptic clue yeah definitely um to finish off with then brooker what was your favorite scene or moment or Walterism of the episode? I think my favourite moment probably would have been uh, the one I actually, probably the one I just mentioned, uh, Peter and, and what's his face going in there 
their own separate ways. Lincoln going their own separate ways and kind of separating after a, a job well done. Because it, again, it was like I say, it was nice to have a moment with Peter just getting to be normal. Peter just getting to be Peter, not looking, you know, not having to explain himself, not chasing an officer, not looking after his old man, just Peter being Peter. Which, considering I, you know, I was, I think like Paula Malkinson, like I say, is great throughout. As a moment to moment, I think that one is probably the better one. Yeah, definitely. That's a good moment, actually, and it is. It, it, it is. It is lovely to see Peter in a, in a relatively normal situation, talking to a a guy who isn't involved in the craziness that that they're in. So it's, it's nice, but he will be soon. So you know, it's just. A, oh yeah, <laughs> be yeah careful, absolutely. You know, be careful what you wish for is what he says, and and yeah, that, that's that, that's the ominous. But it's, it's just a nice moment where you know we we get to go our separate ways, and you know something horrible isn't happening to someone. You know, which in a yeah. moment like that usually it would be, or you know, one of them's going to go around the corner and get stabbed, or you know, it, it usually a moment like that would be really kind of ominous and setting you up for something else. Whereas here, it's not. It's just a moment, and it's really nice. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I think one of my favourite moments is 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 Lincoln Lee's reaction to entering Walter's lab. I just, I just love any person who is just not prepared for what they're about to see and i i, I think steph gable plays that scene brilliantly yeah just come, you know completely bewildered and uh slightly overwhelmed it's brilliant yeah i it's great and like i said like i said earlier, anybody whenever they walk into that lab there's always that same moment you know especially with gene it's great uh and everyone always brings their own thing to it and, and lincoln is uh, positively baffled by what yeah. <laughs> what he's just walked in on <laughs> Oh, he certainly is. He certainly is. Okay, then. I think that about wraps it up for today's episode. I think the next time you're going to be on, I think I've got you and Chris Haig down for uh, an hour of madness again for the finale. (laughs) Bless you, my son. Which should be great fun to uh, edit. (laughs) (laughs) See, this this is why I don't edit stuff anymore, mate, because stuff like that is just, I know how much of a nightmare it is. Well, with you and Chris, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but always good fun. Always good fun. But until then, mate, uh, where can people find you if you've got any social media or any podcast you want to uh, plug? I mean, the best place to come find me will be on Twitter. I'm at Brooker411, where I'm basically just like this, just in, you know, 260 characters or whatever it is. Uh, and I run a video game podcast with a couple of friends called Character Unlock, which you can also find on Twitter, which is at character unlock uh yeah that's me pretty much awesome uh, you can find me on twitter at luke underscore winch um i generally hang out there every now and then and um, other podcasts you can find me on you can find me on currently i am on rarely going which is our star trek lower decks podcast the uh season two premiere was now when's this gonna wear probably a week or so into it. So we're a week or so into season two. You can find me on there, co-hosting that with Craig McKenzie. And I am on podcast 616 to talk about uh, the new Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I'm looking forward to that uh, as, a, as a massive fan of Asian cinema. I'm definitely looking forward to re- reviewing that one. I, I'm looking forward to that, actually. So I will be tuning in for that episode 100%. I... I uh... I've already got my seats booked up, ready for it. I cannot wait. Nice, nice. That'll that, that, I mean, that'll actually be my first foray into a cinema since 2019. So wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing something on the big screen again. 
I as 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 safe as I'm trying to be with the whole COVID thing, the second cinemas opened, I was fucking there. <laughs> I didn't realise until they reopened just how how much of my mental health is tied to my local cinema, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, so thanks everyone for joining us for another episode and remember we are part of the We Made This podcast network please subscribe please subscribe to Observing the Pattern and if you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts that would be absolutely marvellous it, it really does help get us out there um, and if you want to help out our network please consider supporting us on Patreon and if you go to patreon.com forward slash We Made This uh, Fringe is, of course, not all we're discussing, so we'll give you a taste of what else you might have missed on the network in a moment. But until then, take care, and we shall see you next time over here, but also in Olivia's head. Observing the Pattern was created by Andrew Brooker and Tony Black, and is produced by Tony Black and Luke Winch for the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review to help more people find the show. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the OTP Podcast and on Facebook by typing in Observing the Pattern. You can also find We Made This on Facebook and on Twitter at We Made This Pod, where you can find shows on film, TV, music, and broader popular culture. Also, check out our website, WeMadeThisPod.com. Thanks again for listening. Elsewhere on We Made This. Frame to frame. Being John Malkovich, I think is probably the most original film I will ever see because I had absolutely no idea what was going to come next. Then when it did come, I was like, okay, right, that makes sense. Well, it makes sense being a loaded term <laughs> in the context of this film. Well, yeah, yeah. In, in any other film, it'd be ridiculous. Like, oh, what, we're suddenly going through uh, John Malkovich's subconscious whilst one person's trying to shoot another. Like, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but... It makes sense within the context of the film. I pretty much agree with with everything that you were saying about it being the exploitation of celebrity. That was my my sort of big takeaway. And the thing I was I was thinking, oh yes, I'll be able to say this on the podcast and it will sound smart, was that they get their fifteen minutes of fame. But oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is the beauty of us not talking about ahead of time, right? Yeah, yeah, is it? Pick a disc. Was that kind of your entry into music as well? So did you learn a lot about music because of your, what your parents' records collection was then? Or? Oh, of course. They were they were the first DJs in my life. I mean, <laughs> you know, what they listened to was gospel to me. And then I started learning my own music through listening to albums on, on the radio, listening to stuff uh, that my friends would dub, a cassette copy. Oh, you got to hear this album. They would dub a couple songs and make mixtapes. And then passing mixtapes around between friends to kind of introduce each other to new bands. But the bands that I listened to in my youngest years, my childhood, are the ones that I still look back at with just some... Because they helped really shape and form who I am as a music fan. Rarely Going, an animated Star Trek podcast. They've gone through that script and went, yep. 
that's fine. And that's been approved by, you know, the executive producers, the writing room. There's a lot of people that have had to go through this episode before it's got to air. And, you know, the fact that they can have something like that where it can be a little bit self-critical of the thing is 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 good. You know, Star Trek can often be classed as taking itself a little bit too seriously. Um, and I think something like that, you know, the fact that people go, yeah, you know what, that, that's fair point, fair point. And they're probably, you know, people are aware of the criticism, the positive things, you know, people are, are basing Star Trek around, around a lot of some of these decisions and, and leaning into that. So I think that, you know, it shows that the writers are, are self-aware, certainly. And, you know, that, that also extends out with the, the Lower Decks kind of writing room too. Yeah, fair. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.